Today's episode of Talking with TK is presented by The Cabinet House. For the finest kitchens, bathrooms and wardrobes, get in touch at www.thecabinethouse.com.au. Welcome back to Talking with TK. I'm your host, Tristan Cannell. Great episode we've got today. We're up to episode 55, and we've got Corey Patterson joining us on the show. Corey is currently playing over in the UK for the Toronto Wolfpack. He's had quite the career. He started off at Newcastle. He's also had stints at West Tigers and also the North Queensland Cowboys. Represented the Indigenous All-Stars three times. Quite a talented back rower. Also dominated in the Super League. So, you know, he's just on to tell us a little bit more about his career and how he's done it both in Australia and in England. He's had a couple of boxing fights as well. So quite the talented sportsman. And his young bloke actually is in some sort of Liverpool Academy team, I think it is. And he's only seven years old. So maybe we're going to have another Patterson on the way as well. Before we get Corey on the show, just a big shout out to everyone tuning in. I've had a massive growth over the last month, which has seen us hit the top 30 on the charts on iTunes. That's the sports section on that. So I'm really proud of that, and I'm really grateful for everyone tuning in, sharing with their family and friends, and helping me grow the show. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to the show. It's all free via iTunes. You can also catch the show on Stitcher, or for all show notes and episode guides, Visit the website, www.talkingwithtk.com. If you've got an Android, that's probably usually the easiest way to get on the show as well. If you want to connect with me, any guest requests, please send them through at tristan at talkingwithtk.com or you'll find me on Twitter or Facebook on my pages at talkingwithtk, Instagram, I'm Tristan Nell. All right, I'm really excited to bring you this episode today and I introduce Corey Patterson. All right, guys, my special guest is Corey Patterson. Corey is a professional rugby league player in the UK for the Toronto Wolfpack. He debuted in the NRL in 2007 for the Newcastle Knights, and his career also took him to North Queensland Cowboys and West Tigers. He's represented the Indigenous All-Stars, while he's also undefeated in two bouts as a professional boxer. I welcome to the show, Corey Patterson. Corey, welcome to the show, bud. Yep, thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure, mate. First things first, congratulations on the new contract with the Toronto Wolfpack. It's going to be a massive challenge, but tell everyone listening at home just exactly how it came all about. Yeah, basically, the Toronto Wolfpack, mate, is the first transatlantic uh, team to play over here in, in the English competition. Uh, so we're, 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 it's hard to sort of explain, but... We're based here in Manchester to start with. Mm. Um, we play all our all our away games as such here in the UK first, and then we go and spend uh, all of May, June, and July in Toronto, uh, and play all our home games in a stretch of you know ten, eleven games straight over in Toronto. Um, so 
it's a it's an interesting setup and a, an exciting setup. But um, yeah, last year the the guys were in the third division. Now they've gone up to the championship this year. So uh, the end goal would be is Super League. Uh, so. Yeah, mate, like I said, it's a bit outside the box, but it's very exciting. Yeah, before we came on the show, you explained that you've signed the likes of yourselves, Fui Fui Moi Moi, Dave Taylor, uh, who else is coming on, Ashton Sims. So you've got a yeah. fair squad already organised. Is there also going to be a mix of English boys and maybe even a couple of the local players? Yeah, so we've got... Um, the, the the rest is also made up of um, you know English guys, and we've got uh, two Canadian guys and an American guy in our squad as well, so... Uh, it's good, mate. We, obviously, we need to try and grow the game over there and, and, and get the grassroots going as, um, as good as we can. So, yeah. um, the, the, the Canadians there and the American, he played in the World Cup, Ryan Burrows. Uh, we've got two development kids uh, from Canada. So, they're buying into it and they, they seem to like it, you know, the physicality of it all. So, um, yeah, hopefully we can get some more uh, North American players in the squad in, in the not too distant future. Yeah, Corey, when you're playing at uh, Lee, you're obviously taking a bit of a leadership role. I think you were officially a vice captain there. Is that something that you want to continue to evolve with, your leadership side going into this club? Yeah, mate, I, I guess so. I mean, I'm 30 now, so um, I've been around a little while. So, yeah, to be honest, mate, I, I, I just let my actions do my talking. Yeah. Uh, and then if I'm doing the right thing for myself, well, then you know, hopefully it rubs off on other other players and uh, a bit of professionalism and things like that. But I think leadership comes from you know more doing rather than saying. So mm. um, that's sort of my motto is that you know, just do do it and then you don't have to talk too much then otherwise. Yeah, definitely. Is that something that you picked up along the journey maybe? Because you, you would have been in, uh, around some, some incredible human beings even outside of sports. Did you have a heavy influence in that sort of that era, mate? I was, I'm, I'm super lucky, mate. I like, I debuted, you know, with Andrew Johns and Danny Badiris and those yeah. type of blokes, and and then when I was at the Cowboys, I had Jonathan Thurston and, <laughs> um, you know, Matty Bowen, and mate, I, I'm so I'm so fortunate to have the career I've had, um, and, and play with the players that I've played with and against, and um, yeah, you pick up little things along the way. Uh, how to go about things, um, how to prepare for matches and training, and um, yeah, everyone's individual. But you know, I tried to take as much as I can from from the you know the the awesome players I've played with. Yeah, you've been over in the UK now since you had once then in 2013. You came back for 14 with the West Tigers, but then ever since 2015, you've been predominantly based in the UK. How are you your loving life over in the UK? Yeah, mate, I'm pretty fortunate. I've got a British passport because uh, my mum was born over here, so yep. I sort of I'm a bit less of a quota spot. Um, they've got a quota system over here, so mate, we, we really enjoy it. Uh, my wife's just opened up a business. My son's in the academy at Liverpool for soccer. Uh, we're, we're just we've we found a little niche here, made a little you know set some roots um, roots up, and we're just I don't know we're just content at the moment, mate. We I've sort of moved around a little bit, uh, and now we're sort of I don't know. We sort of dug our feet in a little bit, and we're and, and we're happy here, mate. So there's lots of opportunities. You know, I, I was talking to one of the boys the other day. I was like, they said, well, "Are you going to go back to Australia when you finish?" I said, "Mate, to be honest, no one remembers me in NRL too much. You know, there's there's that many better kids coming through and all this. So if yeah. I want to stay in the game, I've sort of I've got to stay over here, and I don't have to, but I've got more of a chance of 
post rugby, post footy career, mm. you know, coaching, welfare stuff. If I stay over here for a little bit longer, um, so that's sort of the ideal situation: is play a few more years and, and try and stay in the game over here in some capacity. And with this Canada thing, mate, you never know. We might might be bloody moving to Canada in a couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> How's it? Get, the thing, mate. How's it going to work? Know. Are they going to find just accommodation for you guys for twelve weeks? Is that the simplest kind of yeah. way? Yeah. So we stay in. Um, we stay in these uh, universal university uh, accommodation. So it's basically between two blokes, you've got two king size rooms, a kitchen and lounge room between the both years. So they had like the pan. That's where they had the Pan Pacific Games or something like that. They they look after us, mate. So the the city of Toronto actually has a lot of deals with the the, the team, and they're buying into it. So there's a lot of um, helping each other out a lot. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. But so. Have you been over to Canada before? I haven't, mate. I haven't. So um, the boys that were there last year said it was amazing. Said you know they went to Niagara Falls, they did all this stuff, and I was just like, man, it's too good to be true. So um, the family will come over for a big block of it. Yep. Because uh, we we have our summer holidays here in June, July, so the kids get six weeks off in the middle of the year. Uh, how- so the the family the family will come over then. How old are your two little ones? So my son's seven, and my daughter's nearly two. Yeah, because I saw him on on your uh, Twitter, and I was going to ask you about the the whole Liverpool Academy thing. How did that all eventuate? Oh, he was just um, he was just playing here in his local little soccer team here when he was, um, and then they just had a scout popping by, and they just said, "Oh, do you want to come have a trial at Liverpool?" I said, "Yeah, yeah, that's fine, mate." And then um, ever since October last year, he's been in their system. So fantastic. Um, well, post career, mate, you yeah. might be his manager. Well, I said to him, I said, look, I'm not having no money to rip him off. I said, I know what, I don't know much about soccer, but I know the sporting industry, so that'll look after you, son. <laughs> <laughs> and it's going to cost you 50%. Yeah, 5%, five, 5 will look at you. The money they're on now, no, I would never take from my son, but uh, <laughs> there, are, there are, you know, that's another thing I've learned over the years. There are a lot of people out to get something off you. Oh, so. yeah, definitely. And it's, and it's magnified to such an extent over here in the football or the soccer that, you need to have your guard up, certainly. Yeah, what do they do with the kids? Is it more like a kind of a seven-a-side sort of thing, or how are they are they playing a full field? What what happens at their age? No, no, so it's like they play at this stage, they play like a five or six-a-side, six because um, they're only a little, mate. They can't run, <laughs> they can't run the full pitch, so they play, um, it's almost half a pitch, if you will, smaller goals, and, you know, pretty fortunate, mate. They got to go to Portugal and Lithuania, and they go to Italy next year and all this stuff, so... I said the worst. The worst thing that comes out of this is, you know, he's got some solid coaching. He's got to see the world, or see some, you know, some parts of the world, and he's made some mates, you know. So that's the worst that's going to come of it. Yeah, it sounds you like know, a good life. I think we should both go to back to under sevens. Oh mate, it's, it's unbelievable. Like, <laughs> he's, got, he's got more more gear and better gear than I've ever had in my career in the under seven. <laughs> mate, take so, me. Take probably me. make more money. Than- <laughs> Big time. Mate, take me back to your origins, because you're originally from Perth. With all the different yep. competition over there, especially with AFL and cricket and even soccer, how does a kid get good at rugby league? Well, I was born in Perth, but my dad was in the army, so we moved around a fair bit. So while I was born in Perth, we then moved to Brisbane, where I started playing footy in Brisbane. Mm about four or five, then I moved to Canberra for a year or two, then to Sydney for a year, another few years, and then we moved back to Perth when I was 12, so throughout all that mini mod stuff, I was playing footy yep. um, over in the East Coast, and then 
moved to Perth when I was 12, kept playing footy, and then um, I played for Western Australia in one of the under-15s, like, carnivals, and Warren Smiles from the Knights just put me on, like, a development scholarship thing. Uh, and then the following year, I came over and trialled with their SG ball side, and he yeah, just got a two-year two-year contract from that to play SG ball for him. And um, I moved over by myself when I was 16 and lived with uh, Jared Mullen and his family. Wow. Um, so, yeah, it was a big move, like, moving across the other side of the, the, the country when, when I was 16. But I knew that was my dream, and I had to make sacrifices and things like that to to, to achieve it, so... Um, I'm definitely glad I made the move. Yeah, how how bad was the homesickness, especially at 16, being by yourself? Yeah, oh, it was hard, mate. But it was also when I, I was very, very lucky to have um, Mullo's family be so supportive, and yeah. they took me in as one of their own. And you know, to this day, I still consider them like my second parents. For sure. But... Uh, and and, and Mullo's as, as my like my brother, pretty much. So you know, he's he's the godfather of my son, and he's the best man at my wedding, and. Um, I was I was very lucky that I landed on my feet with good family. Yeah, when you were still a young bloke then, were you a second rower? Uh, I was originally a fullback centre, but obviously I got a bit slower and a bit bigger and moved into the back. <laughs> and were you dominating when you kind of... Because you made the Australian schoolboys too, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, to be honest, when I first moved over, I was awful. I was I was like number 20 on the squad each week yeah. for the Knights. Um, I was a year young, so I was just plodding along. And then um, the following year, I don't know, I just sort of got found my groove a bit and started a few games. And then that year, I played schoolboys, and and then Brian Smith came to the club, and he just said he wanted me to train full time in that off season, in that preseason. And then I just kicked on from there, played twenty odd NRL games the following year, and haven't really looked back. Yeah, it's it's been a tremendous career when you look back, you know, on reflection. We're talking about a 10, 11-year first-grade career. Do you remember much from that, that first season? Because I think by my notes, you, your first-grade debut was against St. George in 07. Yeah, I, I, I remember my debut like it was yesterday. Yeah. That's something I'll never forget. Um, the rest of the year is a bit of a blur. I remember certain games and things like that. and I, mean, I was just living the dream, to be honest. I still am, but um, yeah, it'd be like 18, 19-year-old playing for Newcastle Knights with some of your heroes. Um, yeah, something special, mate, and I'll never forget. You know that what I've achieved, but it's um, you look at that bit of reflection. Yeah, mate, I'm just very fortunate, I guess. Yeah, because Joey's last season was your first season, right? Yeah, yep. So we got to play a few games with him. Um, you know, just training, having him around the club, and things like that was was unbelievable. Every kid's dream come true, pretty much. Yeah, as someone that played on the edge. What was it like running into him? Could was he just th- that far ahead of everyone, or did he balance himself? I didn't, no, I didn't even have to think really. He would just say, like, as soon as I show inside, that's when you change your line, and then he would just put the ball wherever you wanted it, and just be like, far out. How did that happen? <laughs> yeah, it was just like, it was just, it was just, yeah, it made makes everyone's job so much easier. Was it because, you know, the first year that you're there, Joey retires, and the second year there, Danny Badiris retires. Did you get maybe thrust too quickly with those experienced players? Because you had a good two years, and then the third year you started falling by the wayside, and that's when Wayne Bennett released you, wasn't it? No, that was the... 2011 I got released. Yep. So, uh, yeah, I don't know, mate. It's hard to put a finger on it. But I think, yeah, everything happens for a reason, mate. And 
you know, peaks and troughs and all this and that. So, mm. um, yeah, we all go through them, mate. And it was one of them things that, you know, a bit of adversity was probably you know, not what I needed, but, you know, I was flying for those first two years, like you say. And, you know, I wouldn't say I was comfortable, but, you know, sometimes the universe just throws a spanner in the works and it's how you respond to it, I guess. Yeah. I saw also in a note that you went over to the NFL and you tried out for punting. Is that true? Yeah, I. Yeah, I went over there and had a kick with a few of the teams and that, yeah. but it was never, it was never anything serious, man. I was never going to leave or anything like that. It was more just, um, a bit of a fun thing to do, to be honest. Yeah. Um, what did they think of you? Some of the, yeah, they said well, I had potential, but I'd have to move, and there was no guarantees or anything like that. So, you know, I just like I said, I just had those two good years, and I wanted to achieve plenty more in the NRL, and um, yeah, it was more just a bit of fun, mate, and. It was a good experience, too. Yeah, because you had quite a bit on you, because you goal-kicked a little bit, too, didn't you? Yeah, I tried, mate. <laughs> Do you still have a bit of a kick around at the Super League? Yeah, I still have a kick around, mate. Just muck around, and I'm probably fourth or fifth string nowadays, but I can still, I can still kick them. Guys, we're just going to take a quick break. Of course, today's show is presented by the Cabinet House for the finest kitchens, bathrooms, and wardrobes. Get in touch with them at www.thecabinethouse.com. .com.au. Do yourself a favour. They're led by an extraordinary gentleman by the name of Rodney Hawken. He has over 20 years' experience in the game. They offer affordable excellence. So check out their portfolio online at www.thecabinethouse.com.au. All right, next on the show, I want to give you a quick preview of my chat with a former Penrith Panthers and West Tigers grand final champion, Paul Fatawira. He's got an extraordinary story, and here's a quick preview from our chat. What age did you learn how to do the haka? Probably, probably about two years ago. Yeah. Did <laughs> so you guys have like practice sessions? To we did. So uh, it's pretty much every kid knows how to do the haka back in New Zealand. Yeah. It's just one of those things. You watch the All Blacks, you watch the Kiwis, you watch the softball men's team. It's just something I guess globally everyone loves to watch. So you just brought up with it, but properly, and to understand the words and the meaning, it was probably only about two years ago. Yeah. So it was pretty much, yeah. When you're doing the haka and you finish, you guys just look like you are pumped up to the max. How long does it take for you guys to come back down and think about the game and focus? That's a, that's a great question, actually. It's important to control your emotions. And short story, the last couple of years, I have embraced myself back to my culture and learning to deal more and learning more about my culture. And I find that's a really positive mechanism for me to keep me healthy and well. But as with with, with the haka, it's, a, it's an emotional war dance. You, you you are calling upon your ancestors and the history of your family and in our country of Old Teotihuacan. There's a lot of history there, mm. so you're really just soaking all that all that spirit. Yep. and strengthen but as you said controlling the emotion and make sure it doesn't get over the top of you because it can be draining if you let it get on top of you so it's just keeping that balance understanding who and why you're doing the haka for but also bringing it back down and just staying relaxed and balanced after you finish so guys look out for that episode in next week next week's show so if you haven't yet, please subscribe to the show via iTunes or Stitcher, or you can catch it all online at www.talkingwithtk.com. Please help me continue to grow the show. Best way is to share it with your family and friends. So if you think someone would enjoy the show, please reach out and let them know. If you want to connect with me, easiest way is either email Tristan at talkingwithtk.com 
or you can find me on Twitter at Talking with TK or Facebook at Talking with TK as well. All right, let's get back to it and our chat with Corey. And during that time, if you're comfortable enough speaking about it now, you had a few issues off the field with things like depression and things like that. Was that something that started at Newcastle or was that something that you've always carried from a childhood? No, no, it was just one of them things, mate. It was sort of after having those two good years and then I got injured and playing bad and it was one of them real shitty times in my life and yeah. a lot of stuff going on off the field and yeah, it was just, like I said, mate, a bit of adversity that was thrown at me and um, uh, it was one of them things that I look back now and I can say, yeah, I got through it. Uh, come out the other side with, you know, I think that happened. That was in '09. So what are we? Eight years later, and I'm mm. and I'm flying. You know what I mean? So it's one of them things where, at the time, you think it's the worst thing ever, but you know, you look back now, you can I can sort of have a bit of a smile on my face knowing that I got through it. So, um, like I said, mate, everything happens for a reason, and now, you know, I'm very fortunate to have a a great life and 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 a. A, a quite a successful career in my eyes, you know what I mean? Yeah. How was it in terms of support for you? Because, you know, back then, we're talking about eight years ago, mental health wasn't as widely spoken about as it is. It's more widely accepted now, and that's because of a lot of high-profile speaking, people speaking about their own experiences. What was your experience like with that and the support within the rugby league community and maybe even your own family? Yeah, man, I was... Oh. When I came, when I sort of came out with it all, it was all relatively new, and no one had really done it as as much as now. Which is, you know, it's good to see now that everyone's, you know, very supportive and, and comfortable with coming out in that type of thing. But, um, mate, I, I was very fortunate. The Newcastle Knight, the club, was outstanding with me. Um, the general public, you know, the, the footy fans are good. They they supported me. I got heaps of emails and support, um, letters and things like that. Um, Obviously, my friends and family were always there for me. Um, you know, you had, you had the odd, you know, one or two people that in the public that didn't quite grasp it, you know, and sort of said a few things. But at the end of the day, mate, the, the positive stuff far outweighed the negative. And and now I'd like to think that me doing that all that those years ago, hopefully, you know, gave a little bit of courage for some other people to come out and, mm. and say they're struggling as well. Yeah, post-footy, is that maybe something that you're kind of interested in doing more, kind of public speaking about your own issues back then and maybe things that can help the general public? Yeah, mate, I'd like to. Yeah, I'd like to share the message and, um, you know, it's all in the behind, it's all in the, the eye of the beholder, mate, all these things. So it's all individually based and, and how people can get through certain situations and things like that. But uh, my way might not help. Your way, yeah, your exactly way, right. Like, so, I think you've got to be careful in how you say, come across with certain things. You know, mm. ideally, I'd like to stick to like stay in the welfare and coaching department because I, I think that with coaches and and squads and and players these days, it's, it's probably more about man management and not keeping players happy, but keeping players. Um, comfortable and able to talk to people and you know happy players is going to be a good player and things like that like I know when I was struggling my performances were shit mm. well sorry I'm going to swear but yeah no, they were just like, I know I know that like certain other blokes were going through stuff they they start playing shit so I know the NRL is massive on player welfare now which is which is really good um, so I just think that, as a 
as an organisation, as a sport, we have we have the great capacity to influence people and help people, um, and I think we should use it yeah, as much as we can. For sure. Corey, over your career, you know, you've had some magnificent coaches. Was there anyone that stood out that maybe didn't make you such a great player, but made you maybe think about life and maybe pushed you into more life perspective? Um, that's a good question. I think in terms of um, getting the best out of me, I think Brian Smith got the best out of me in those first two years. Yep. Uh, but then again, I don't know if that was me just being a young kid, just going gung-ho and that was always going to happen. But I've always... Um, I've always had a pretty good relationship with Rick Stone as well. Mm-hmm. He's over here now coaching Huddersfield. And Stone is one of those blokes who's just a real, um, he's a real man's man. Like, he's honest with you. He's, he'll tell you straight and there's a mutual respect between you. Yep. Um, and for me, I think, you know, he came from, he had to graft pretty hard to get to where he is now. You know, being a bricklayer, you know, then coaching Q Cup, then earning his way up the ranks to being a successful NRL and Super League coach. It's sort of, I don't know, I think he's taught me a lot about, you know, just hard work and patience and, and you'll get there, mm. you know, so, um, yeah, but like, I, I've been fortunate to, you know, be coached by some really, really good coaches, uh, again, yeah, know, one of those four things on reflection. Corey, you, you know, you mentioned Brian Smith and what was he like as a coach in terms of on a game day? Did you guys know whether you, apart from if you were Danny Badiris or Joey Johns, for the rest of the squad, were you kind of all on alert that you might not play the day of a game? No, I never, I never seen any of that stuff, mate. But um, yeah, you're going back ten, eleven years now too. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Head lots times between drinks. <laughs> <and your. laughs> um, so yeah, no, he was always Smithy was always good to me and upfront with me. Um, there were times I remember that you know, he pushed me, and I used to think he's a prick, but I yeah. knew he was deep down he was only wanting to get the best out of me, so. Uh, that's another, you know, he pushed my buttons and sometimes I didn't like it, but I, reflecting now, I know that he got, that's how he got the best out of me. Yeah. Were you a good trainer? Uh, that's a good question. Depends who you ask. Uh, <laughs> who was the strength and conditioning think, back then? Oh, we've had, we've had a few, mate. I think, um, I always, I've always been athletically talented, mm. um, which I think, let me get away with certain things, but I've always, I've always done my best. I've always trained my best. So I'm, I've never been the strongest in the gym, and I don't think I ever will be. But I've always prided myself on being, you know, one of the fittest. And and now I've gotten older. You know, I'm, I'm in the gym a lot more, doing prehab stuff. And I sort of wish now I had my sort of mentality now that I had when I was a bit younger, in terms of, you know, prehab and diet and. Um, hydration and all those things. I know we weren't as educated back then, but um, I sort of wish I had a, that sort of similar mindset as I have now. Yeah. Corey, you and the Indigenous All-Stars, like three games. At what age? Three-time All-Star. Three-time All-Star, my man. <laughs> you get that tattooed or something. But yeah. at what age did you kind of embrace your Indigenous side and what side of the family does that come from? Yeah, so my dad's Aboriginal. Yep. Uh, sort of always known about it, but obviously because he was in the army, we moved around a lot, so we never really settled and um, sort of got culturally 
taught taught a lot because obviously we never have a lot of family around. Family was sort of spread out everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, Dad always told us that we're Aboriginal and always embraced it. And I think the whole All Stars concept is massive. You know that one game and then that one week of you know the community stuff we did and all that. It, it far outweighs any game of rugby, any game of footy that that's played. You know, it brings the whole communities together, which is awesome. Yeah. What's it like in, in camp when you virtually have 20, 20 of your brothers that all have Indigenous backgrounds in there? What are some of the activities that you do during the week together? There's a lot of pranks and a lot of games being played, mate. It's, um, <laughs> it was it's the, good fun. It's, did it's you play with Wendell? Like, yeah, Del played with Del the first year. Uh, he's a crack up. Just there was a lot of fun things, mate, like big personalities. Like you'd have Andrew Fafita and then Jamal Idris, both massive personalities but massively good blokes just sort of just into each other and then you have you know you know you have quite a type of more respected blokes like gi and justin hodges just kicking back laughing playing cards and jt be at the back um you know laughing. just being a card dark, trying to rip everyone off so but <laughs> no, your, first, good, your first your first game was lucky. presto's last game how yeah, is it? Yeah. So. When you think that, how tall are you? Six foot four. Yeah. And he's about five five. Is it amazing how good he is when you think about how physical your game is? Yeah. Well, he blokes like him and Matty Bowen are just freaks, mate. Like they're that small in stature, but they make up for it in in skill and and braveness and um, you know all the things you want in a player, minus a few feet, you know. But they're just. They have, they've had super, super successful careers because of all the attributes they have. Uh, toughness, braveness, you know, skill set, all that stuff. They had it all, mate. And, you know, just it was a pleasure to play with and hard to play against. But, you know, it was, you know, very lucky to play against them as well. Yeah. In all your time over, you know, the NRL, did any little fella put a shot on you that you were just surprised and just came out of the blue? It's uh, a good question. I've been banged plenty of times, don't worry about that. Um, <laughs> little fella. Uh, Maybe a little hooker. Who was in there? Probably. Um, can't think, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Um, oh, no, Alan, what, what about Alan Tung? Did he ever put a hit on you? He was pretty Yeah, he probably got, up, probably got up and under me plenty of times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably Tungy. Um, now, blokes like um, Nathan Friend, they can all work. I think PJ Marsh might have got me one year, I think. He's a bit of a uh, tank, though. Yeah. No, I've been smashed plenty of times, so I can't keep counting. Corey, when did you meet Anthony Mundine? Um, might have been 2010, I think. Yeah. Was he a big influence on you switching to boxing? Um, well, my old man used to box as well, so okay. he sort of always... Had it in me. Um, I think around that stage, you know, 2011, I was sort of uh, a bit lost in where I wanted to head mm. in terms of career and all this and that. And uh, yeah, it sort of Chuck was there a bit and gave a bit of advice. And uh, yeah, it was one of a bit of a blurry stage of my career. But um, he gave me a little bit of. A, he, obviously, I did a bit of training. And then he said you could have a go at it, and mm. I ended up doing it a few times. And it's good fun. Yeah, you it's know, hard work, but it's good fun. Big time. You know, you spoke about 
being lost. Like, how did you, like, when Bennett released you and Newcastle released you, how did you find out the news that you were unwanted? Yeah, my uh, Stoney, it was Stoney that told me, he just rang me up and said, come in for a quick chat and, you know, I thought that was pretty ordinary that he had to tell me. Yeah. Uh, considering he wasn't going to be the coach the following year, you know, sort of put him in an uncomfortable position and, you know, I'll be honest with you, I, I sort of, I had a bit of a cry to him and it was one of them shit situations that, yeah. looking back, um, I never wanted to leave Newcastle and it was a hard thing to do. Um was the only club I ever played for and the only club I wanted to play for. But um, I suppose that that release has now given me the, the life I have now where you know I've seen the world. I probably would never... If I wasn't forced out of Newcastle, I don't think I would have left. Yeah. You know, so probably... It very well would, would have been nice to have a 10-year career at the Knights, yeah. Mm. But also now I'm so fortunate to have seen the world and, you know, going to go play in Canada and all this. So I think... It was one of them things that needed to happen for, for me to grow and for me to get out of my comfort zone. Guys, another quick break on the show. I just want to give you a little bit of a snippet from our last episode. It was a great one. We had former Reds, Queensland Reds and New South Wales Waratahs flanker Bo Robinson on the show. He's quite the character and I really enjoyed the chat with Bo. And here is a quick, quick snippet from the show. I'd, we, well, I'd obviously been talking to him about whether or not we get the contract up there, but they had plenty of young back rowers that they need to look after, which was fair enough. So they had uh, Liam Gill, Ed Quirk, and Jake Schatz, all blokes who were, you know, I think 18, 19, 20, who were all sort of could cover seven but weren't sevens. Apart from Gilly, he was a seven, but... The other two weren't sevens, but because they were smaller and younger, then they sort of got had covered in there a bit. So I think my reasoning behind it was I was just like, well, I've got nothing to fucking lose. And then I thought, well, if I'm willing to go up there for free, what's he got to lose? Um, you know, when, again, he doesn't have an incumbent there. He, he, uh, Daniel Braid had just gone back to... New Zealand after two years there I was just like you know as I said all, all I'm offering is or all I'm asking is is an opportunity you know I'm not really wasting his time or asking any money or anything and, and that was it so go back plenty of league and union and all sorts of sports in the back catalogue find them all at www.talkingwithtk.com alright let's get back to it and let's finish it off with Corey Patterson yeah, what were the options? Because you end up at North Queensland Cowboys. How many options did you have at that time? Oh, there's a few, mate, but I sort of, I didn't really want to live in Sydney, and I knew a few of the boys from the All-Stars. Yep. Um, you know, Mango and JT and that, so I sort of, I thought I'd feel better up there. Um, so yeah, off I went up to there. Yeah, and then, you know, you play a couple of seasons there, and then you test yourself for the first time over in the UK. You sign with Hull. Obviously, it's about yep. five years ago now, so you're only in your mid-20s. So, as a young father then as well, what was the first experience of the UK like for you? Yeah, it was good, mate. Um, the club I played for, they were, they were a great club and the fans were super passionate. And, mate, I was playing good footy and you know I was only 25, I think, but it was one of them things. Um, my wife had a lot of health problems. Um, yep. And, you know, we had, we had a... 
like an ectopic pregnancy. So if we were pregnant again and we went and had the scan and there's the heartbeat and then all of a sudden they said, oh, we've got to rush you for emergency surgery to have, have it taken out. And my wife's laid up in a bed, you know, in the middle of England with no friends, no support mm. uh, for five days. And it, it sort of was like one of them things where, right, I've got to, I've got to take my family home now. Yep. Um, we're only young. We, you know, we only had our son who was only young as well. So it was sort of, I needed to take my family home for her more than anything and for me you know i thought i need to be the man of the family and, and get her around her family and friends just because it was a pretty tough time it took a month to recover and things like that so um yeah it was one of, it was again another shit period of shit period but look back and you got through it so it gives you strength to get to move forward yeah for sure is your wife from sydney or newcastle yeah she's from newcastle yep so you guys moved back. That's that's a fantastic story that you got through it all. You know, it seems that every time that something is thrust in front of you, it is a test for you. But you seem to come through with flying colours. So it's a big testament for you as well, buddy. Yeah, it's, at the time it's shit, and you think it's the worst. But you know, the more the more shit you go through, the the stronger you sort of become, I guess. Mm. Talk about, you know, we spoke about it briefly, but, you know, you switched to boxing briefly and you had a couple of bouts in there. You know, boxing and rugby league, as much as rugby league players try to switch into boxing, they're two different sports. You know, you're by yourself in the ring. How was your experience at boxing? Yeah, I loved it, mate. I was, it was all, I had, I had an awesome coach in David Birchall. I had great uh, people around me. You know, friends and that, and, and my missus was all supportive, and uh, I loved it, mate. I loved the whole. It's me, pretty much fighting, and no one else. You know, I played with blokes that, you know, you could sort of, they'd pick up the slack for you, or you'd pick up the slack for them. But you know, when when I was boxing, mate, it was just me, all or nothing, and I, I really liked that. Um, it sort of gave me that. I don't know. When times were tough, type thing, mm. you know, when you when you're sparring and that, and you don't want to do it, but then you get up and you get through it, and then you win a fight. It's sort of, it's a very satisfying feeling. Yeah. What were you like, kind of that five minutes before they called you out for your your first fight? Um, to, I was I was shit myself. I'll be honest. The blokes, because we're having glove issues. The blokes glove wouldn't. The blokes hands wouldn't fit in the gloves that he had. Oh so I God. Thought, <laughs> How big was this bloke? Yeah, he had hands like fucking bomby knockers, so I was like, shit, this is going to hurt. I said, I can't turn back now. And I think that, when I heard that they were having glove issues, I was like, all right, this is, this has got to be it. I've got to, I've got to smack, I've got to go hard now. Because so. <laughs> <laughs> you um, ended up knocking me out in the first round, didn't you? Yeah, so, um, it was one of the things, man. It's just, it's a fight or flight, and you can't fight because you're in a ring, so you've got to, you've got to rip in. <laughs> yeah. Is that something that you're interested in ever going back to, or is it kind of just a two-off situation? Oh, mate, to be honest, it's it's too hard of a sport to not give 110. percent Yeah. Uh, um, you know, you don't play boxing; you have to give it the ultimate respect and time and effort. Because yeah, if you don't, you'll get hurt. And my sort of outlook now is the only time I was fighting was in off seasons, and as I've sort of gotten a little bit older, I sort of. I like more seasons to spend with my family and, and do a bit of traveling and things like that. I was sort of, for those two years, I was fighting in the off-seasons and I never really had a break and mm. my family never really had a break either. So uh, I sort of, uh, yeah, I, I enjoy my sort of downtime now in the off-season and that's the only time I could fight. So that um, that's sort of my outlook on life at the minute. Yeah, have you, you know, ever, 
you know, over there, Anthony Joshua was huge. Have you been to any of the fights over there? Um, I've been to one up here in Manchester. They they love it, mate. They sort of love. They're so. It's hard to explain. It's like they've got if they've got champions over here, whatever weight class, everyone pretty much in England knows them. Okay. They just get behind. They get behind their sports, and especially their boxing, a lot more than Australia. Um, you know, if Jeff Horn was from from England. You know, he'd be he'd be a superstar over here. So yeah. it's one of the things that it's just yeah, different cultures, I guess. Yeah. Are you are you also in the UFC and stuff like that as well? No, oh, I'm not a big fan of UFC, mate. I'm sort of a bit old school. I just like just the boxing. I don't like it. Yeah. All the boys are mad into it, but I'm sort of I've just never it's never clicked with me really. Yeah. That Anthony Joshua, buddy, he's pretty amazing. Like you're a big guy, and I reckon he's probably spotting you a couple of inches <laughs> in height and 15 kilos in yeah. weight. He's big. Mate, he would punch my head off. He would just, yeah. <laughs> That's like, I was sort of a big cruiserweight, small heavyweight, so I could, realistically, I'd, if I wanted to take it serious, I'd probably have to be a cruiserweight, and that means dropping nine kilos. What do you weigh now? You know, I thought, I'd just, I'm about 100, so I, I'd be a small heavyweight. You know, Anthony Joshua and those blokes are 115, 116 yeah, kilo, and six foot seven. You know, so I'd just get, I'd get my head punched off. <laughs> For sure. Hey, one stat I did see when you were playing over at Lee, is it true that you scored 18 tries? In the season? Yeah. Yeah, I went all right. Did you? <laughs> yeah, I did all right. That's pretty good. Well, you playing in the centres or something? No, I was just playing a um, bit of back row and, um, I don't know, they just kept hitting me short and kept scoring, so I was all right. <laughs> Neat pies. I'm sure there are a couple of front rows that probably didn't score any. No, there probably wasn't actually, but yeah, I sort of, I'll take them when I can get them. <laughs> all right, let's wrap things up with a few personality questions. Corey, you know, you've played all over the world. Tell me, what's your favourite venue to play at overseas and then back in Australia? Favourite venue? Uh, well, we play at, uh, we've got a thing over here called Magic Weekend, where all the the Super League games are all played on the one weekend over two days, so there's four games Saturday, four games a Sunday. Yep. And uh, when I was at in Hulkaya, we um, we played at the Etihad Stadium, which is Manchester City's home ground. Yep. Um, so to play there with the history and and the footballers that you know the soccer players that all play there, that was that's probably my favourite ground that I've played at over here. Yeah. Does that get packed out? Well, it doesn't get the full 80,000, 80, but it got about 50,000, 60,000. Yeah. It, it was pumping. It was yeah, good. Yeah, the atmosphere must be amazing. So what about back in Australia, mate? Take Newcastle out because obviously that's going to be something sentimental to you. Yeah. Where else would you did you enjoy playing? Um, I, I, didn't, I didn't really enjoy it, but it was always the there was always a lot of satisfaction playing there. It was... Back in like oh seven oh eight oh nine, down in Melbourne when they used to play at the the with the the running track around it, the Olympic Park. It was always the Olympic Park. Yeah, yeah. they were always the hardest games because Melbourne was just unbelievable. And the bloke with the cowbell just dinging away, and it was always freezing cold. And I just remember I always played all right down there, and we didn't win too many, but it was always just a sense of you go in there, to, it's going to be hard as it's a challenge. Yeah, it's a real challenge, and but probably Suncorp's probably the other one. Suncorp's awesome to play at as well. Yeah, I get that a lot actually. It must be the design of the stadium and people sitting right on top of you, right? Yeah, and also you know whenever you play the Broncos, it's Friday night and there's always a big crowd, and you know it's you always event, get up for those yeah. big games. Yeah, it's an event, mate. Exactly. So 
the good facilities and everything like that. So probably those two back home. Yeah. Uh, it'll be up there. Okay, next question. Your house is on fire and your kids are safe, your family's all safe, your friends are all safe. You can save one possession. What would you save? Um, probably, my, probably my laptop just because it's got all photos and everything on it. Yeah. All that stuff. Like that's... That's the modern day grab your photo frames, isn't it? Oh, big time. <laughs> you do it yeah. on just one grab. <laughs> yeah, I just just grab. Yeah, probably yeah, probably a laptop that's got you know all kids' photos and videos of them all and all the other stuff you can buy, but you can't really buy all the photos and movies and that of the kids. So yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's right. probably it. All right, Corey, I'm going to take you back to your childhood. When you were growing up, what posters did you have on your bedroom wall? Oh. Um, depends where I was living at the time. I remember I was living in a country town called Geraldton yeah. in Western Australia and they're a mad surfing community and I had all the surfing pictures and all that. And then when I was living in Sydney, I had, what I have, I had, you know, rugby league posters and things like that. So it's changed, mate. Obviously growing up different places, I was just trying to fit in with the kids that had different posters on their wall wherever I was living. Yeah. What are the kids into now? Like, what does your son have? Like Liverpool photos? What? What's his? Yeah, he's got all he's got all bloody Liam, Messi, and Ronaldo all over his wall, and um, he's got a few pictures of me up actually up there, which is pretty cool. Um, that's cool. So, yeah, so that's he draws all over me, but I think I've got a few moustaches and things like that. <laughs> Do you guys go over yeah. to Anfield and all the different EPL grounds and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, we've been a few, mate. Um, so he's been at Anfield a few times. Um, He's been to United's cities. They're the main ones around here. So it, it just loves it, mate. He is me, how I was with footy. You know, he collects all the cards. I used to collect all the cards. He's got all the posters. I had the posters. Yeah. Did you used to collect all the basketball cards as well? Yeah, all the basketball cards. Up the deck. All the footy cards. <laughs> all of them, mate. Yeah, so he's doing what I did when I was a kid with rugby. So it, but, it's cool to see. But it is good. Like, I remember back when we grew up, we used to be in card shops and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Today's day and age, it's good to see him breaking away from the normal mould. Most of them are just sitting yeah. on their iPads and stuff, and he's actually got some interest outside. That's that's good to see. Yeah, it is, mate. You know, he's got an Xbox that he plays once in a blue moon, and when he does play, he's playing FIFA. So um, he's always got a ball at his feet and playing with his soccer cards and all this. So I'm I'm happy with how it's progressing where he's into sports rather than computer games and all that stuff. Yeah, for sure. All right, final question, Corey. You're going to be hosting a private dinner party. You've got five invites. Now, only rules, no family or friends, but you can invite anyone dead or alive. Who would you like to invite? Oh, that's a... I'll go Muhammad Ali, Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Tom Brady, and uh, what's he called? Oh, I forgot his name. Um, the Tesla fella. What's he called? Oh, Elon Musk. Elon Musk. Elon, Elon Musk. Yeah. Mate, you sound like. Are you big into the American sports? Yeah, I like my American sports, mate. Who's your, uh, who's your teams over there? Uh, I'm a bit of a I'm a bit of a bandwagoner. I go. With, <laughs> I just love I just go with Miami or Cleveland, wherever he's at. Yeah, have you seen Ben Simmons play no. yet? He's he's pretty amazing, yeah. isn't he? Yeah, he's awesome, man. He's from Newcastle too, so look, I'll claim him. There you go, the Newey boys uh, just killing on the world yeah. scene. Yeah, we're going all right. <laughs> yeah, so I just like like the events they have over there, mate. Like 
everything's an event. You know, every match is an event. It's all tailgates and everything yeah yeah, I just love how they embrace their sport it's awesome yeah fantastic well Corey before I let you leave everyone uh, follow Corey he's quite active on his Twitter and you'll find him at Corey Pato he's also on LinkedIn any other social medias that you're on Corey Uh, just Instagram as well mate Insta what's the channel on that one same thing Corey Pato yeah nah Corey Patterson Corey Patterson Patterson. okay well everyone give Corey a follow follow his adventures over in the UK and give him some support. Corey, my man, thanks so much for stopping by the show. Happy, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Yep. And all the best. Likewise, mate. For the Toronto Wolfpack, I'll be watching, man. Yeah, thanks, mate. Take care and I appreciate it. Guys, we hope you enjoyed the show with Corey Patterson. Be sure to follow him either on his Instagram or his Twitter handles. Give him some support. I think the Toronto Wolfpack's a great sort of organization on the way up. Hopefully they'll make it into the Super League next year as well. Be a great goal if they actually smash through that. Give Corey plenty of support. If you love the episode, get in touch with him. Tag him on a post on Twitter or send him a quick message on there. I'm sure that you'll definitely get in contact there. Next week on the show, we've like I said, we've got Paul Fatawera. We've also I've been pretty busy lately, so I've recorded with the likes of Archie Thompson, Rennie Matua, Richie Vass, Ryan Hipwood, and Steve Monaghetti. So plenty ahead on Talking With TK. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to the show via iTunes or Stitcher. You can also find all the episode guides, all the players on the website, www.talkingwithtk.com. If you could do me a massive favor, if you haven't yet and you've got if you've got iTunes on either your phone or your desktop, if you could log on and leave me a five-star review and also subscribe, really just helps me be seen more in the rankings. And I've had a pretty smashing last quarter of 2017 so i got in those top 30 in sports and rec which i'm really proud about and i'm really grateful for you guys for listening to the show all right guys really enjoyed today's episode hope you did too i will see you next week